0: Hello and welcome to this new series on reflections from the life of Joseph. You are gonna fall in love with this insane young man from the Old Testament. Three years ago, let me start with this story. We put our house up on the market. We were selling up and moving closer to the church that we'd pastored. And you know what? We'd done this beautiful reno and our house looked amazing. We were so happy with the photos online and everything was just so exciting. We, um, Peter and I had even had conversations about, you know, the lowest price we'd go and we weren't gonna budge from this and we had covered everything. Then the craziest thing happened. All our Christmases turned up at once because we bought a house the night before our first open for inspection. We couldn't believe the timing. We were like, oh my goodness, this is crazy because now we can line up both settlements. This is just like perfect. So the agent that we bought from, he sent us home with the contract so that we could look over them properly, sign them and take them back in the morning. In the morning was our first open for inspection on our home that we were selling. And we thought that, you know, we'd head out to lunch, we'd sort of celebrate in advance and then we'd go drop off these contracts for the house we'd purchased. And it was all happening and the kids were excited and we were excited and we were on our way. And then we got a phone call from our agent. So, we answered excitedly because, you know, we're expecting him to say, oh my gosh, a truckload of people turned up, we've already got interest, whatever. Only to be told that only two families had attended our open. Our hearts sunk. We were like, oh my goodness, what does this even mean? was there even like, the slightest chance that our house would not sell in this booming market? Like what on earth? And so after a few quick conversations, we rang the agent and we explained the situation honestly and we asked if it would be okay if they would allow us to purchase subject to the sale of our house. But they declined. And so that house that we just bought fell over. And so did that dream and that excitement. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you had no control over the outcomes on something and just felt so stuck and that your efforts were pretty much like fighting the wind. Have you ever picked up your Bible and, like, you know, just wished so desperately that God would just give you some obvious direction, say something, tell you how to move forward, or give you some prophetic insight for what to expect next? Or maybe you're in a situation where you've been waiting for so long on God and he hasn't done anything and so now you've actually discovered that you've got some options at your disposal and that you could potentially take matters into your own hands. You know what? You've worked out that maybe you can confront that friend who is rude to you or sell that house for $50,000 less than you had intended or maybe... You can actually walk out on your marriage. If God's going to be silent, then, hey, let's get this ball going. Most of us would agree (laughs) that waiting can sometimes be an absolute killer. But the crazy thing is we all as humanity share this experience. We're all in waiting for something mostly all the time, right? You might be waiting for a dream that God's placed on your heart. Or a promise you believe that he's given you. And sometimes I dare say, you know what, they're the hardest, right? Because we think, God, I didn't pray this up myself. You put it in my heart. And so move, will you? (laughs) It sounds so rude, but we can think this way. Or maybe for you, you're waiting to fall pregnant or waiting to find a partner. Maybe waiting for your health to improve or waiting for your kids to get back on track or waiting for your marriage to improve, or I don't know, maybe you're just simply waiting for the next best thing. You see, none of us can escape this waiting game that is just part of life. So if that's the case, and there's no way out, and there's no way to become immune to it, then how do we wait well is the question. But before I answer that, before I unpack some thoughts, I want to look at what are our options in the waiting game. And I think I've come up with three options. Firstly, we can remain in an anxious and impatient state (laughs) and we can just scrape through every day or we can take matters into our own hands, as I said just before, or we can wait in peace. Now, my, oh, my, (laughs) it's probably not rocket science as to which of those options most of us would choose, right? Right? no one, no one that I know anyway, would put their hand up and go, oh yeah, definitely count me in for daily anxiety. Yep, thanks very much. I want to wait in anxiety. Who does that? Most people also know that taking matters in their own hands often makes a bigger mess of things and deep down they really want to trust God and wait for his outcomes even though it's hard. So that leaves us with the third option as being the best option, and that is waiting in peace. But the million-dollar question is how? How do we wait in peace? That would take so much pressure off all of us. How? You see, sometimes waiting is easier said than done, especially when the wait is longer than we expected. There's a young boy in the Bible, of course you know him, Joseph, and his wait was longer than expected way longer than expected what a waiting game it was for Joseph and so if we're going to learn how to win at the waiting game I dare say there's some rich lessons that you and I can draw out of Joseph's story it wasn't an ordinary wait for Joseph it was a wait that involved chaos and injustice and all things unimaginable and so he's a good person to learn from so let me refresh us on his story. You may know him as Joseph in the multicolored coat. He was the second youngest of Jacob's 12 sons and Jacob favored him the most. He was like, you know, daddy's boy or, you know, daddy's favorite. And that was obvious to Joseph's brothers and that caused huge issues. In fact, the mere fact that Joseph actually wore this beautiful multicoloured coat screamed out that he was the guy who didn't need to work in the fields like his brothers because that was not farmer's gear. (laughs) But then at the age of 17, in case Joseph's brothers didn't hate him enough, for whatever reason, he goes and tells them that he's had a couple of dreams And essentially, as he shares his dreams, he implies that one day he's going to rule over them and that they're going to bow down to him. Do you know what? How do you think they responded? Yeah, they were livid. They were like, who do you even think you are, little brother? (laughs) The brothers became so mad and so jealous that they... They must have been so mad and so jealous right because they actually came up with a plan to kill him until his brother Reuben talked them out of that idea. Instead (laughs) they went with something slightly less ridiculous and they threw him into a pit and ended up selling him to some Ishmaelite traders. From there Joseph was sold into Potiphar's house as a slave and whilst things looked up for Joseph every now and again and for a while and he was favoured and esteemed there. It wasn't long before things took a downward turn for Joseph once again. One day he was falsely accused of seducing Potiphar's wife and so Potiphar threw him into prison. Wow, (laughs) he was thrown into prison and that was his reward for doing the right thing but yet Joseph waited Don't forget, he had these dreams he was holding on to, but he kept waiting. It was a crazy waiting game for this guy. Who agrees (laughs) that waiting is actually even harder when injustice is involved, right? You sort of think, wow, God, where are you in this? Can't you actually see what's happening? I'm sure Joseph must have wondered, if and when his dreams would ever come to pass, year after year seemed to pass. And it wasn't looking like the fulfillment of his dreams were like, you know, around the corner or, you know, going to unfold anytime soon. No. But then the story goes on. And whilst Joseph was in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker were also thrown into prison. And one day they both asked Joseph if he could interpret a dream that they'd each had. And so, Joseph did. <laughs> so to the cupbearer, he says, Well, let me see. In three days, Pharaoh would restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And then he said to him, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Please mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon and I just read that from Genesis 40:14 to 15. Essentially, Joseph saying to the cupbearer, "Hey dude, make sure you put in a good word for me with Pharaoh so you can get me out of this place. Make sure you tell him what I did. Make sure you tell him that I interpreted your dream and it came to pass and that, you know, I'm legit. (laughs) Joseph must have thought that this was his break. The cupbearer would put in a good word and that'd be his way of getting out. But do you know what happened? Genesis 40, 23 and Genesis 41, 1 tell us this. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Oh my goodness, what? Two full years? <laughs> then the cupbearer remembered and told Pharaoh about him, to which Pharaoh called Joseph in to interpret his dream. Oh my goodness, two years later, was this guy kidding? Like, thanks so much. That's a really lovely way to say thank you. Unbelievable. <laughs> believable, unbelievable. So, Joseph kept waiting. So, when we look at that, if we're going to learn how to win at waiting, I think that Joseph has a thing or two or three to tell us about how we can wait in peace the next time we have to wait. And so, I want to unpack three things that can help you and I wait in peace. Firstly, Quit relying on others or ourselves to get us out of the waiting. You see, if Joseph had fully relied on the cupbearer to get him out of prison, he would have been bitterly disappointed, right? Two full years of nothing. Joseph understood that he couldn't rely on others or even rely on himself. He knew that he could only rely on God And we see this in his conversation with Pharaoh. In Genesis 41 and 16, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Okay, so I've had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph replies, I cannot do it. But God will give you the answer you desire. What? Wow. Talk about playing himself down, right? This was the perfect moment to start rattling off his CV. You know, if it was me, I'd be saying, um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I do have a bit of a gift in dream interpretation and, you know, I had a bit of success in it, but all glory to God. <laughs> but not Joseph. Not Joseph. Not Joseph. He wasn't a bit of God and a bit of me. He was, this is all God. I've got nothing to offer. You see, Joseph gives God the credit. He gives God the credit. I feel like if there was bystanders listening in, they would have said, Joseph, no, 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 don't. Don't talk yourself down. Word yourself up, dude. This is your chance. Tell him you're amazing so we can get you out of that dungeon. But Joseph had other ideas. His trials and tribulations taught him to quit relying on others, to quit relying on himself, to quit trying to manufacture outcomes and that God was the only one worth relying on. And my question to you and to me today is who are we waiting on? Secondly, we can learn from Joseph to be filled with the Holy Spirit because that helps us wait. In Genesis 41, 38, Pharaoh says, Can we find anyone else so filled with the Spirit? (laughs) You see, there's one way to wait. And that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. What does that even mean? (laughs) What does that even mean? It means this. It means to give the Spirit more of us every day. It means to be intentional about surrendering our life, the outcomes of everything we're going through, to even surrender the promises into the hand of God every day, to surrender everything, to give every bit of us to God. I remember uh, my husband's mentor some years ago, a beautiful pastor who had some great and big promises from God for his ministry. And one day he said to Peter, do you know, Peter, chasing the promises of God was eventually driving me crazy. And I soon realized that, you know what, they were all about me anyway. And it was then that I decided that even if I become a taxi driver for Jesus, that I would be content with that. And it was only then that I experienced God's true filling and was able to wait patiently as God worked on me and then eventually launched me into the promises. Wow. The filling of the Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) It's a package deal. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We can rattle them off. But you see, waiting is a whole lot easier when all of that becomes part of our DNA. You see, you and I, we don't land the fruit of the Spirit when we manically search for it in a moment of panic because, you know, we don't know what else to do. And we're like, okay, fine, I surrender. (laughs) No, it doesn't happen like that. It happens gradually as we strive to be like Jesus, as we get into his word daily, as we surrender more of us to his Spirit not with cheap words, not with Christian lingo that we just rehearse, but with authentic heartfelt repentance and authentic heartfelt daily abiding. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not about an incident or a moment. It's about a lifestyle. And there's no doubt in the world that there is a direct relationship between our ability to win at the waiting game and our degree of spirit filling. And thirdly and finally, Joseph teaches us to stop saying I'm waiting and to start saying I'm living. (laughs) Ask the spirit to give you a shift of mindset. Waiting sounds like, you know, we're at a standstill. It sounds like the ultimate outcome is over there in the future, somewhere over there. But what about the here and now? What about the in-between time? I wonder, I wonder what would happen if instead of saying I'm waiting that we would begin to say I'm living. I wonder if that would shift the way that we view our waiting time. I dare say it would. You see when we're waiting and we're just looking at the clock and we're counting every minute and we're like come on, what's with the delay? Everything feels longer, everything feels longer. Joseph didn't wait, Joseph lived. Joseph lived and you might say, well Susie, of course he lived. Of course he lived, he was like living the dream. He was like, you know, the big gun in the end. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about him living in the end. I'm talking about the way he lived all through. He lived, he was busy, he did a lot. He was a busy boy. He was faithful, he stewarded well, he lived. He lived. And that's why we read that Joseph had favour, that Joseph was busy, he was put in charge of everything, everything at Potiphar's house. He took over all of his affairs. And you know what, in prison, same thing. It should have been too hard. It should have been sit in a corner and wait. But no, he lived. He lived. And we know that because we hear that again. He found favour and he was put in charge of all the prisoners and all the wardens. And so I wonder, I wonder how it would be if you and I quit waiting and started living in the name of Jesus. May he mobilise us, may he empower us, may he pour out his Holy Spirit on us so that we can be like Joseph, so that we can live, not wait And so that we can be everything that God has for us. We can have the right character and we can be perfectly prepared for the destiny that he has for us over there when over there arrives in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.